You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. This morning, uh, in God's Word, I just want us to continue in this vein that we've been here for the last couple weeks, uh, talking about the essence of life with the Lord, which is building a place for the Lord to dwell with us, which that's something that will transcend our Sunday mornings into the life with Christ Monday through Saturday, not just Sundays. Um, we see that Jesus describes this moment in human history as this moment when these worshipers would, would arise. And in fact, the Father is searching for these worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we've been really unpacking what that means. What does it mean to live these lives of worship? And a common analogy we see, an illustration scripturally that we see, is that of building a house. We are building the Lord a house, a place for him to dwell when we worship him. And specifically when we worship him in spirit and in truth. So worship is so far beyond just the songs that we sing, the music that we play to the Lord. It is those things. But this is a way of life the Lord is inviting us into. And, and this vivid illustration of building the Lord, of, the Lord a house is such a, um, I think, useful illustration for us. Obviously because it's biblical, but it's very practical as well. So this is calling everybody, everybody to be a part of this, this act this eternal act of building the Lord a house, a place for him to dwell. And so we talked about, we laid that groundwork the, the very first week. Last, the last time I shared, we talked about how we approach this house, the house of the Lord with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is what prepares our hearts, what, what rightly positions us before the Lord is the Lord and we are not. And uh, it positions us to receive faith, to receive truth. We talked about those things a couple weeks back. So this morning... I want us to talk about the, the elements that really allow this house to endure. The elements of an enduring house. We're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, let's just pray before we open up God's word. Can we do that? Yeah, Lord, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the revelation of your word. Lord, we thank you that you didn't remain distant, but that you... You've always drawn near and you've chosen to reveal yourself to humanity. We're humbled by that. I pray that we would just eat this up this morning, eat up the revelation of your word like hungry kids. That, Lord, we wouldn't take for granted this invitation to live life with you, but there would be this, especially upon this church family, upon this community, such an uh, urgency in our hearts to live every day with joyful expectation, joyful fellowship with you. That's my prayer. That's my desire. Help us receive your word this morning. Amen. You, th you guys there? First Corinthians chapter three. We're going to talk about elements of building a house that endures. I love to adventure with my family. I love to go on trips with my family and um, just be together, really. And I've found, I'm, I'm kind of the nerd in our family. I do love, I love to plan vacations and plan adventures just because I, I find that I discover all these things about these places that we're gonna go. And um, it can be close or, or far, it doesn't matter. I just, I'm a, I'm a nerd that way. But um, I've found over the years, as my kids are getting older, that it's oftentimes the things that I don't plan for that end up becoming like the things that are most memorable for, for our kids. 
So I put all this planning and preparation and I geek out on these things and those things are cool, but then it's something off the beaten path, off the plan. When you ditch the agenda, that's when it's cool. And so, for example, there is this stop in Wisconsin, the middle of Wisconsin, it's called the House on the Rock. Has anybody been to the House on the Rock? I had no idea this place was there, but it is amazing. And we just saw a sign, the House on the Rock, we're like, I wonder what the House on the Rock is. Um, not exactly the most intriguing name, but, but it drew us, and we, we went to this, this, this really uh, tourist trap um, of this unique house that this architect, architect built in the 1960s. And here this house is perched up on this rock, and it is uh, just a wild adventure going into this house. It has this infinity room, which is a big cantilever over this cliff, and it looks like the room just goes forever. He's got a carousel in there. He's got just room after room, thousands and thousands of square feet in this house perched up on this rock. But it is a one-of-a-kind house. What the Lord wants to do in us is something unique, something that the world can never offer us. He wants to offer us something that is truly one-of-a-kind for our, our lives to be like this house on a rock. And you can search the world over and you'll never find a house like the, like the Lord's house, the, the house the Lord wants your life to reflect and us together, the, the life that the Lord wants us to, to build together, a place where his presence dwells. is going to be a one-of-a-kind house. It's a house built on the rock, and it's the rock of Jesus Christ, the foundation that we're going to talk about this morning. And I really feel like the Lord wants to give us a sense of, of urgency as I prayed into, a sense of um, humility to steward every moment of every day, to not take anything for granted. I feel like that's a temptation of our age is to kind of spurn the present. Like we're such a distracted age that we, we kind of, through our actions, despise what's right, right in front of us because we wanna, we wanna be somewhere else. We wanna go somewhere else, do something else, be distracted from what's right in front of us. That's such a, I believe, a trap of the enemy. It's a danger of our age. Uh, so I do believe the Lord wants to give us a sense of urgency for the, for the now, what's right in front of us. That's the Lord's will for us. Um, a hero of mine, C.T. Studd, said that only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will, will last. I believe the Lord wants to give us a vision of that which truly matters. J. Oswald, Oswald Sanders um, wrote this book called Spiritual Leadership. It's a book that was handed to me 13 years ago when I was just kind of stepping into ministry. I quit my job as a nuclear engineer and I, I launched out into vocational ministry and um, this mentor in my, my mind gave me this book called Spiritual Leadership. And this is what J. Oswald Sanders wrote. He said, the character of a young person depends on how he or she spends spare time. Leisure is a glorious opportunity and it's a subtle danger. A leader will, will seldom say, I don't have time. Such an excuse is usually the refuge of a small-minded and inefficient person. Whew. Those are words that have stuck with me over the years. The Lord is giving me, giving me something right now to make the most of, and it's to live this life for him. Not to live, the life, not to live my life in the perpetual future, Regretting the past, but living here now with the Lord every day. That's that life of worship in spirit and in truth. 
It's living this life with the Lord. I've just, over the years, over my 30 years of walking with the Lord, I've, I've seen things come and go. I've seen fads come and go. I've seen leaders say all sorts of things and nothing come of it. I've seen leaders disappoint, but I've grown more and more established and firmly grounded in the consistency and the character and the faithfulness of the Lord, of his sufficiency in my life. And I'm choosing to build my life on that rock, building my life like a house on the rock. So I wanna ask this question to us this morning. Are we living lives of worship to the Lord? Are we building a life that the Lord is attracted to? There's this, we will get to 1 Corinthians chapter three, but I just wanna also set the stage through this passage in Ezekiel 13. Do not, you don't need to turn there because um, it's, a, it's a wild adventure going to the book of Ezekiel. But Ezekiel 13 um, shares this moment in Israel's history where Ezekiel is, is calling out Israel because of their superficiality in their faith, in their journey with the Lord. They had drawn to themselves all these false prophets that were telling them what they wanted to hear, with kind of tickling their ears with, with promises of peace, even, even though the Lord was really bringing judgment upon Israel. And Ezekiel call, calls them out and says, hey, these, are, these prophets are speaking, you, speaking to you false visions. And he, he said, what, what you're actually doing, it's like you've whitewashed, you've built something, but you've whitewashed your walls, these very weak walls. And he said, there's coming a day when these whitewashed walls, like you just kind of slap some paint on something and said it's, it's pretty and beautiful. But there's coming a day when these whitewashed walls will come crumbling down and the foundation will be revealed. There's coming a day when the foundation of all things will be revealed and and. Paul uses some of that very similar language here in 1 Corinthians 3. There is a sobering, fearful reality of things to come that hopefully will cause us to live fully in the present today through the revelation of the grace of the Lord upon our lives. Okay, let's, let's look at this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as I promised, <laughs> verse 1, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul is very honest with the Corinthians as people who, they had a, just a, a whole laundry list of issues. And so like his fatherly heart is, is saying, I, I want to address you as spiritual people. He had just said that. It's through the spirit that we understand this, these spiritual things, but you've been so stuck in the natural and the flesh. And he longs for them to, to move on into maturity with, with the Lord. Verse two, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? That should convict us right there. Are you living in only a human way? The Lord has grafted us into something supernatural. We've been born again. So now we live on a higher plane. The standard now is not the old you, it's the new us in Christ. We're a new creation. Are you behaving in only a human way? Verse four, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You know, we look like the world when we're jockeying for position or fighting over 
who's following who and, and dividing into factions. Verse five, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So, so far, this analogy has been the analogy of sowing seeds and watering seeds and eventually bringing a harvest in, a, in an agricultural sense, in a gardening sense. But right there at the last uh, phrase of that last verse in verse 9, he changes analogies to that of building a building. You know, in the, the sense of sowing seeds and watering seeds, we're all working in the Lord's field. The Lord is the Lord of the harvest. He brings the harvest as he wills. What a, what a joyful thing for us to labor with the Lord, regardless of what our role is. The whole idea of an agricultural analogy is so humbling. What we're doing is laboring with the Lord humbly in his field. But at the end of verse 9, he changes analogies to that of building this house. If you remember... Uh, the way Peter said it, we're living stones and the Lord is building us as a spiritual house for his presence. The chief cornerstone is Christ himself. He is is the living stone and he's fashioning us as living stones to make for him a spiritual house. And so Paul leans into that same analogy, that same illustration. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? I read that a couple weeks ago in that same vein of laying this groundwork of this analogy of building the Lord a house. We are God's temple. This is this this new kingdom age of worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. We are now the house. It's no longer an age of tabernacles, physical tabernacles and physical buildings. We are the house. And and in the original Greek, he says, you all are God's temple. Together, there is this collective hosting of God's very presence in our midst. And for that, we should be humbled. That is a sacred, sacred thing. That's why Paul is so worked up here. And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Verse 18, let let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. 
So let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So I wanna break this down this morning really into, into three common errors that people fall into in building the house of the Lord. If you're more stirred by uh, understanding errors and kind of the, the negative take on things, that's how it is, the three common errors in building the house of God. If you're a positive person, you want the positive affirmation, you can flip that. You can understand this in a positive way of three ingredients for building a house that endures. It can, you can go both ways here. Um, so the first common error in building the house of God is this building on the wrong foundation. Or if you want to build a house that endures, build on the correct foundation. But a house that's built on the wrong foundation will fail. It will come crumbling down. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's nothing else for us to build our lives on, for us to build this house, this temple, for which the Lord will come and dwell, other than Christ himself. So not another leader. Leaders will disappoint you. Not a denomination. Denominations and organizations, they come and go. Not a different experience. Not a theological distinctive. Not how you feel today. Don't, don't build your house on your works or your accomplishments. We build our lives and we build this house on Christ himself. We build this house on the revelation of Christ's sufficiency. I've seen too many leaders come and go and, and disappoint. We don't put our stock in, in, in how people will fulfill us or how people will be faithful. Only the Lord is truly faithful and we build our life on him. If you think of a foundation, a foundation um, reflects the strength of a structure, the soundness of a structure. And so our, our lives in Christ are built, our, our lives in this world are built on Christ and the soundness of them is in the, the unity that we have in Christ. There's this beautiful Psalm, Psalm 86, that says, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. That our lives would have this consistency in them not these compartments. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how the Lord in these messages, I believe, wants to break down the compartments that oftentimes we put the Lord in. We put the Lord here in our Sunday mornings or maybe when we, we, we hang out with certain friends or family, but the rest of, the, the rest of our lives, we, we live however we want. The Lord wants us to have a unity in our lives, a consistency, a soundness to our lives, there to be a character to our life that's built on him and him alone. No compartments. If you've bought a house, you'll have an inspection. And where does the inspector go? The inspector goes down into the bowels of the house to the, the foundation. And maybe the house has amazing curb appeal. Maybe they've done an amazing job. I've seen some flips in this day and age of, of house flipping. 
or man, they slap paint on that thing. They, they throw down that vinyl floor and, and the Ikea cabinets. It looks amazing until you go down into the basement and you realize that the foundation is, is bowing and, or cracking or there's water in the basement, right? There's so much that's revealed as you look at the foundation of a structure. And so it is in this life, especially in this age where we're so easily allured by how flashy things look and the cosmetics of things, the physiology of things. We're so easily impressed. But I've, I've been in too many contexts to, to realize when you take a look behind the exteriors and you see such lack of substance, such lack of character, such, such lack of soundness of life, that these things will come crashing down. The Lord's heart is for us to have an undivided heart that we would fear his name, that he'd be invited into every aspect of our life and that we'd build our life on him and him alone. So Jesus also uses this analogy in Matthew chapter seven, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says that, a wise man is a man who hears his words and actually obeys them. He says this wise man is like a man who's built his house on a rock. And the storms of life are going to come, the rains are going to come, the winds are going to come, but this house will stand. But he says a foolish man is a man who hears the word and does not obey. His house is a house that's built on sand, and when the winds of life come, it will come cr crashing down. So the whole essence of that parable is us building our lives on his commands as now what we're, what we're allegiant to, what we're loyal to. This is what we're now forming our life after is the ways of Christ. We don't pick and choose the commands of Christ. We don't say, oh, I like these ones and I don't like these ones. I'm gonna live this way over here, but live this way over here. No, it's all conformed now to the ways of Christ. Think of a foundation of, of a house and how it also determines the shape of the house. Right? You build a foundation first, and that is going to be the shape of the house. If you go off, outside of that foundation, you know, that, that's going to be a weak point of the house. Have you ever been in a house where maybe they put an addition on, but they didn't do the work to properly build the foundation? Maybe it starts to sink, or you see the walls cracking, or you walk in that part of the addition and it's drafty. It's because they didn't do the work of establishing the foundation. The foundation of Christ in our life determines the shape of our life. It should determine the shape of our life. So we don't, we don't just accept them as a supplement, as an add-on, as, as like a resource in time of crisis. No, now our lives are conformed to the shape of Christ. We're conformed to the image of Christ. That's now our lives. So Jesus calls it the, the, the way of wisdom. This is the way of the wise man to now build our life on this rock. We now take on his agenda. We're conformed to his image. We surrender everything to him. You can think of discipleship as learning the ways of Christ. The word discipleship literally means being a student. So now we're students of Christ. We're choosing his ways as we build our life on the foundation of Christ. If it's, if it's built on the wrong foundation, it will fail. Paul says that. There's no other foundation that we can establish other than that, which is Jesus Christ. So that first error leads to 
Confident destruction, confident failure. Like it will fail. The, the building will fail. But what else? Here's, a, here's another common error. It's building with the wrong material. Building with the wrong material. This error doesn't lead to outright failure, but it will amount to nothing at the, on the day of judgment. It will, it will amount, amount to no reward on the day of judgment. Look at verse 12. If anyone builds on the foundation, so the foundation's on Christ, but we, we, get, we have the opportunity, the invitation to build on that foundation. We build with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. So some of those things, as they pass through the fire, they will stand the test. There are other things that will not stand the test. And he says, there will be many on that day that will pass through the fires of judgment and they will be saved, but it will be as through fire because everything will be burnt up, which is a sobering, a sobering reality. I want us to contend for more than just eking it through <laughs> the fires of testing, but I want us to be able to have something to present to the Lord on that day as, as a reward that we set at his feet. What a privilege. So the caution here is let us be careful how we build on this foundation. You have the conviction that everything needs to be built on the foundation of Christ. Well, let us be careful how we build on this foundation. I think we should take note that Paul is not so much talking about bad things here. There's like a spectrum of best materials and down to the worst materials. But the, the worst materials aren't necessarily sinful things. They are not necessarily bad things. They're just inadequate when it comes to building a structure compared to the gold, silver, precious stones, the wood, hay, and stubble won't stand the test of time. So what are these inadequate things? I would, I would encourage you to consider what are the inadequate things? What are the like less than things? Like these are just, they're just, I know there's better things that I could be building this life with. There's better things. I would say one is an imbalanced gospel like not balancing and immersing our lives in the fullness of the revelation of scripture. And we, we live in a culture that loves to cherry pick and we love to um, just focus on certain aspects of the character of God, but we need the full revelation of God that's given to us in, in the word. That's why we wash ourselves constantly with the full revelation of God's word. We don't want to live our lives in in this insecure, fearful trepidation constantly just because we're focusing on the holiness of God and the judgment of God only. But we also don't want to have this very superficial, warped gospel that only fixates on the love of God and the kindness of God, the patience of God. No, we need a, a just, loving, holy, loving, kind God in all, in all of its aspects, all of its angles that washes over us constantly. We need to be immersed with the revelation of the fact that we're grafted into the family of God, but we also need to understand that we are immersed into a mission, and there needs to be an urgency for us to not just make it about this family, but the world abroad, and on and on and on. You can think of this sort of imbalanced gospel like warped wood, building a house with warped wood. I am not a builder. We've got many builders in our church family. I am not one. But I do know enough, I know how to look the part when I go to Lowe's or Menards. So my dad did teach me that when you go to the, pick out your lumber, you pick up your two by four and you, you look at, so I do that, you know. 
Yeah, I get it wrong sometimes, but I still do it. And, uh, and everyone's really impressed when I'm there. But picking out my straight wood, you want to make sure you're building your house with straight timbers. So it is in this, in this life. And I believe many believers are building these houses for the Lord to dwell with warped wood, the warped gospel, warped understanding of the character and the nature of the Lord. No, let us be a people of the word. Let us be a people. I mean, we have no excuse in our age when we have so, so much access to resources for the Bible. Let us allow that to wash over us and let us be balanced people with a balanced understanding of the word of God. Amen? What are other just inadequate materials that we could build with? It's wanting shortcuts. This is forfeiting prayer. You can get some quick results in, these day, in this day and age. You can get quick results with your life to live the better life that you want to live for the Lord and you forfeit prayer. You want the practical steps. I actually oftentimes hesitate to give too many practical steps because I, I find that in this day and age, that's what people want. They want a shortcut. So oftentimes we choose inadequate materials by forfeiting prayer, forfeiting getting on our face before the Lord and hearing from him, him allowing our hearts to be open and receptive and him doing what only he can do. Other inadequate materials are building with mixed motives. Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount, that when we do things, but for people, we're, we're receiving our reward right then and there. That's our reward. Our reward right there is the pat on the back or the, the attaboy. But when we do things as unto the Lord, there there is a reward. Those are the, the beautiful things. Those are, those are the precious things. When we do acts of righteousness or prayer or fasting to, to and for the Lord, there is something beautiful there. I believe that, that is why in the book of Revelation, Jesus counsels the church in Laodicea, this church who had everything. They were wealthy. They were, from an external perspective, they were amazing. They felt like they had everything that they needed. But, but Jesus spoke to them the truth of the matter. And he said, in fact, you are poor, pitiable, poor, or you're poor, blind, and naked. And he says, I counsel you to buy from me this gold refined by the fire. So there it is, this better way, this better way of being ones who are true before the Lord, not wanting just flashy exteriors and easily impressing people around us, but living as to the Lord. If you fast forward the story through the book of Revelation to Revelation 21, we see at the end of the age, this place where the Lord is gonna come and dwell. And you see the, the same language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 3. This place where God is going to dwell, where there's really no temple because God is going to dwell in the city with the people in his glory, in his beauty, in his, in his, uh, in his wonder, in his splendor. He, he talks about how this place is gonna be laden with gold. It's gonna be laden with silver. It's gonna be adorned with precious stones and jewels. And that's going to be the house of the Lord. That's going to be the place where the Lord dwells. So are we building with the wrong material? Are we building with inadequate material? It goes without saying that we don't, we're not building things for the Lord with sinful things. So obviously we deal with those things. 
But that doesn't always answer it the fully, like how we then are live our lives. There's also the question of, you know, am I living a life with the best materials? Or am I choosing things that are inadequate? So what would our lives look like if we lived with Christ in mind? What, would, what materials would we begin to, to use on a daily basis? Which then leads to the third common error. We're not building with the owner in mind. Or you can flip that. If you want to build a house that endures, build with the owner in mind. Twice here, he brings to our attention the reality of the day, capital D, that is, that is coming. Each one's work will become manifest, verse 13, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And later on, he says, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. There's coming a day when these things will be revealed. It's the day of judgment. It's the day of the Lord. And so it is the invitation for us to live with the owner in mind. The Lord is the owner of the house, right? We established that in the very beginning of the house. He has the deed to the house. He paid for it with his blood. He's also the inspector. It's, gotta, it's got to be to his standards. Otherwise, it's going to pass through the fire and it's going to burn up. He's the builder and he's not. And, 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 and sorry, he's the inspector and he's the owner. And he's, he's entrusted us with building the house. What a beautiful invitation. What does that mean for us? It means the world is not the judge of the house of God. We're building as unto the Lord. I remember working um, in, uh, in, I was a painter through college. I, I painted houses, which actually meant that I just prepped. I didn't actually ever get entrusted with a paintbrush. But I did work in houses, new construction. And I did find that at times, if the owner of the house was going to be in the house, it just kind of changed my, my mind. It changed my psyche. I was just a little more nervous. Like, what are they thinking? Did they hate my, my taping job? Or am I not doing things right? And... Um, it just changes, like even if you did everything the exact same, it would kind of be on your mind, right? If the owner was there watching, you're like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to paint, or I don't want to spill this paint all over their new, new floor, their new carpet. So it is with the Lord. And that is the essence of the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all wisdom. The essence of the fear of the Lord, it's not being afraid of God, but it is living with this sense of his reality here and now, that he is present. God is here. The owner of the house is here. And to be honest, I mean, especially in light of coming out of the Super Bowl, like the craziness that we have allowed to enter the church under the banner of the Lord's name is, I would say, an abomination. It is an insult to the holiness of God in our day and age. We've allowed so much to be brought into the house of God. You know, that, that is it's just pure entertainment. It's just, it's, it's silliness. But if God was truly here, would we be doing those things? Would we be filling the house of God with, with silly games and antics and, and things just to uh, draw in a few more people? These things will become manifest. It's really interesting in the original Greek in verse 13. He's talking about future 
things to come. But he kind of intermingles future tense with present tense. He says, each one's work will become manifest, future tense, for the day will disclose it, future tense, because it will be revealed by fire. And that's actually present tense in the original Greek. It's like you can feel the heat of the fire to come presently. There is a day coming and it's future tense, but really it has, it has utter implications for the here and now. Presently, right now, you should feel the heat of the fire to come and say, God, I want to live my life before you so that I have something to show for it, that there is something you're beautiful for your glory that's worthy of your name. That is building with the owner in mind. That's building with the inspector in mind that's coming and that's, these things will be revealed. I know this is intense. Are you guys tracking with me? It's living with this sense of consciousness of his presence. So what would our lives look like if we were more concerned about being attractive to God rather than people? And I, I ask that question of our church all the time. What would our church look like if we were more concerned about being attractive to God than attractive to people? And I believe this is a higher standard, not, not a lower standard. This is a higher standard for our lives within the church context. We serve kids because Jesus says if we welcome kids, we welcome these little ones, we welcome Jesus himself. We don't, we don't do it just because we want to have the best programs around and attract all these new young families from other churches. We don't do that. That's silliness. No, we serve kids because Jesus himself said that we're welcoming him when we do that. Jesus later in the book of Matthew says that when we welcome a stranger in his name, we're welcoming him. We're doing it as unto him. So we're not doing it because we want to have the best hospitality in the eyes of the world. No, it's a higher standard. It's to the Lord. That's our standard. We're doing it as unto him, and then it's beautiful. Then it's, it's beautiful worship to the Lord. Us holding out our hand to shake a hand or to open the door for somebody or to serve him a cup of coffee, we're doing it as unto the Lord. Not to play the ways of the world, to up another church or to be the biggest thing and the best thing around, no. We're doing it as unto the Lord, and that is a higher standard, amen? And then translate that to your own life. It's a higher standard for us to live this life with the owner in mind. It's not a lower standard. It's a higher standard. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.